Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Let's take out our Bibles and we're going to talk about the anatomy of a healing. Acts chapter 3. And I'll read you verses 1 through 16. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, Why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You will notice Peter does not give them any... (laughs) Any, any slack. So you killed the Messiah, did you? And asked for a murderer. And then look at this next one. But put to death the prince of life. Now let me tell you what it really says. Put to death the author of life. Uh, the source of life. The word source is, is what it's talking about. The, you put to death. You killed God. Go for it, guys. Which, boy, is there a theology in that. And I do talk about it in your Bible study, but I'm not going to deal with it today. Put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses, and on the basis of faith in his name. It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him, would you say through him? him. Has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. All right, let's look at our text. Healing is an emotionally charged topic. There are people who believe healing is for today and those who don't. There are people who have been healed and those who haven't. 
There are people whom God has used to heal others and those who've tried and, quote, failed. There are even people who've walked away from God because they sought healing for a loved one. But that person died. So by by just mentioning the topic, all sorts of emotions and memories come to mind. I've been asking God to teach me to pray for healing ever since my aunt died when I was 13 years old. And I've learned some things over the years. But as time passes, it seems the main lesson I've learned is how much I still don't know. But I refuse to stop learning. I refuse to let the disappointments cause me to withdraw. I refuse to stop praying for the sick. I refuse to stop believing that God heals. Don't get me wrong. I have been privileged to participate in many amazing healings. Some people say I've never seen a real miracle with my own eyes. But I've seen many. I could spend hours telling story after story that are phenomenal. I mean ones that time and medical evidence have proved out. So it's not that I doubt that God has the power. The real question for me is why some and not others? And I'm not comfortable with the answer that says, well, God just doesn't choose to heal some. Yes, I know there's a time for everyone to die. But you have a hard time convincing me that some of those we've lost had arrived at their time. Luke actually takes two chapters to discuss this one remarkable healing and the effect it had on the city. And he gives such detail and quotes Peter so precisely that he presents us with a case study on healing. Profound insights are given about how the apostles approached healing and even what took place inside the lame man himself. So let's be open to learn. Let's watch Peter model healing. And then listen as he explains what happened. Now I'm going to retell you that passage I read you. Here we go. Verse 2. Peter and John had not yet arrived at the temple complex when they first encountered this man. They were still walking through the city streets when at some point they found themselves beside a man being carried on a stretcher. He was on his way to the steps which lead up into the inner courts of the temple in order to position himself there to beg from those pious Jews who would be entering and exiting before and after the hour and a half evening prayer service. He was a very familiar personality in the temple. Friends or family brought him there every day and placed him by the eastern gate which led from the large outer court of the Gentiles into the inner courts around the temple itself. So that everyone who went into the temple to worship would see him. He'd been born with legs which were maimed, is the word. And it had been obvious from the moment he was born that they didn't work. All right, so here's the picture. Peter and John are going up. This is probably at this time of year, about 4.30 in the afternoon. The evening offering moves with the the cycle of, of, of the season. And so it's about 4.30 in the afternoon. They're going up at the time of prayer. Doesn't say necessarily they were going to pray. I, I, I have a little thought that they might be going up and actually hold their services when the crowds come. But that's me. They're on their way up. They're walking. The, the, the streets, these stone narrow streets will be full of people. Thousands of people are coming up to the temple uh, to pray. And so they're walking along. And as they're walking along, the crowd's merging. Somebody is being carried on a stretcher. 
moving along beside them. So they're all moving together. The stretcher's moving here. We're walking. We're walking. And, we, and, and they look over, and here is this lame man. And when he, they make eye contact, the guy looks at them and says, or probably with a gesture, kind of like, alms for the poor. Alms. So he's just, he's asking for alms. And, they're moved, and he does that when he sees them turn to go into the temple. So they're not just part of the crowd. These guys are, are pious. They're Jews. We're going to go worship. So he alms. Verse 3. When the layman saw Peter and John turning to go into the temple, probably toward the southern steps, which led up into the court of the Gentiles near the portico of Solomon, he caught their attention and asked to be given a gift. And they undoubtedly recognized him, having passed him many times over the years. In fact, Jesus himself must have passed him many times as well. Now, take note of that. So it isn't that they are simply, every time they see a crippled person or a lame person or somebody in need, they're, they're, they're stopping and kind of getting, touching them all. That, that's not happening. So they've, they've passed this guy. Jesus has passed this guy. You see, where he's, where he's located, when you go up on the Temple Mount, you've got actually six football fields of flat stone. It's an enormous area. And that's that large outer area, which has these co columns and shaded coverings so people can get out of the sun. This big surrounding thing is called the Court of the Gentiles. Gentiles can come there so far, and then they can't go any farther. You have, in the middle of this, the temple itself. The temple with its, with its, with its altar, its laver, uh, with where the, where the priests and the men can go, and then another court where the women can go, and people who are, are, have leprosy and stuff. I mean, there's a, there's a process here. And all of this is enclosed, and there's one door that leads into this thing with some steps leading up. That's where the man would be. He's positioning himself right there, the eastern gate. And so he's, they've all passed him, and no one's prayed for him before. Nothing's happened before. Verse 4. Luke says, Peter and John looked at him and didn't look away. They fixed their gaze. They, they stared at him. I mean, this is embarrassing. It's quite evident from this description that they were in the process of spiritually discerning the situation. They were seeing more than a beggar in front of them. They were watching God do something and waiting for instruction. Later on in Acts, Luke will describe Paul in a very similar situation. Acts 14. There he explains what Paul saw. He says he saw that the man had faith to be healed. That, that healing is very similar Paul, at that point, was, was there with Barnabas. He is, um, it's Acts 14. He's, he's up in a place, uh, uh, Lystra, little town out in a remote area. God was, had sent him there basically to get Timothy, uh, is what that was about, I think. In, in, but he's, he's up there. He's at Lystra. He, he says he's, he saw a man, and again, it uses the exact same word, fixed his gaze on him. Identical words. And, then, and he saw that he had faith to be made well. And then he commands him just like, like Peter does. Very similar situation. That miracle also got 
Paul in trouble. That lame man, by the way, had been lame from his mother's womb as well. Well-known person, little town. The guy is suddenly walking. Well, the, these are Gentiles. They, what do they know? They think that, that uh, Barnabas is Zeus. He looks like it with a big beard. And they think Paul, who does all the talking, is Hermes, the god of speech. And so they, they go and they bring oxen and garlands of flowers to worship them. You know, you can, two Jews, it's just like, oy vey! And they're ripping their robes and going, stop it! You know, they, they, and so they try to stop the thing. And then actually the town turns on them when someone comes in and says, this was a charlatan or something. I don't know how you, they all know the man. I don't know how they pulled that off. And then they stone him. It's where Paul was stoned. Dragged outside the city. I think he died. And he's dragged outside the city. Got him in trouble. Got, this got Peter and John in trouble too. That's why we're, we're having two chapters on it. This really stirred up trouble. Everybody in Jerusalem knows the guy. I mean, everybody in half the nation who's ever come down to worship has passed this fellow. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a celebrity. He's a prominent face. We all know the man. And he's been there for how long? How long has he been crippled? 40 years. I don't know how long they brought him to the gate, but at some point he had to support himself. This is how he makes a living. They put him by the gate and people give, out, give alms. This is how they, he carries his part of the family. At some point, Peter spoke to the man saying, look at us. And it may be that he had diverted his eyes downward out of shame or humility. Two guys staring at you. He looked up thinking he was about to receive a gift. But Peter said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have, this I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. That is exactly the word. Peter grabs him and seizes him and apparently just like, come on, pulls the man up. How many know that takes some guts? Picture yourself doing this, okay? In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, so when you put that Nazarene on there, there's lots, of, there's, there's lots of Jesuses. But when you put Nazarene, he knows exactly who we're talking about. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Grabs his right hand and pulls the man up. <laughs> and, uh, and immediately his feet, and, and Luke, being a physician, actually uses medical terms, his ankle bones, he says. Uh, the word is, is hammer. Apparently, your, your ankle bones, they call it the hammer. He speaks of the ankle bone. His ankle bones became firm. And leaping up, he stood and was walking around and entered into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him, that this was the one that was sitting at the beautiful gate begging for alms. And they were filled with, it says, amazement. The word literally means scared stiff. It does. They were stiffened. And the other word it says, and, and, and shock, they were beside themselves. You ever been so shocked, so frightened, it's like you're watching yourself do something? They are frozen stiff staring, and it's like, and, and they're simply beside themselves with, with fear. They've watched this guy for decades. And he's jumping around. 
right now in praising God. It, 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 I mean, talk about an event. Verse 11. Attendance at the evening service must have been severely reduced that day. The healed man created quite a disturbance in the crowded courtyard, and everyone who realized what had just taken place ran toward the portico of Solomon, where he was still holding on to Peter and John, which probably means he couldn't stop hugging them. Verse 12, seeing the way the crowd was looking at them alarmed Peter. He knew they thought he and John had within themselves the power to do such things. The idea was blasphemous, and he quickly attempted to correct their confusion. He asked them two questions. First, why are you so surprised at the miracle which has happened to this man? Now, wait a minute. What do you mean, why are we surprised? That's a silly way. He's been, well, maybe because he came out of his mother's womb, and he's 40 years old and can't walk. And he's jumping around. That's why we're surprised. (laughs) Who does Peter sound like? You just think a minute. Who does he sound like? Why are you so surprised? Uh Uh-huh. What would he say? Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? (laughs) Well, sure. Storm, no problem. Why did we doubt? I, I don't know. The Lord's perspective is all, look, God can do anything. Why do you doubt his power? Why do things become hard? In your mind, we're talking about what, what happens when we, we doubt like that. God is getting smaller and smaller in our mind, isn't he? So the first question is like, why did you doubt that he could do such a thing? And then, and second, why are you staring at us as if the power which caused this miracle came forth from us or if by our zealous observance of the law, we've attained a level of righteousness where God performs such miracles whenever we ask him. That's that word piety. We are such good Jews, so perfect in our observation of the law, so righteous, God will do anything we ask. Get over it. What the apostles saw, now let's, let's stop here for a moment and take note of what was happening inside Peter and John during this miracle. They looked with their spiritual eyes and saw, first of all, who God was touching. There were many beggars and many ill. Peter and John did not stop to pray for everyone they passed. Luke, pardon me, like Jesus had taught them, they were doing what they saw the Father doing. I don't think this this seeing was just in the form of a vision. I don't think they just saw a vision as they look at the guy and see this. You can actually observe when the Holy Spirit moves upon a person and that person begins to receive. Do you understand that? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen God begin to move on a person? Whenever we have a Holy Spirit night, the men's retreat... Saturday night in particular, we just opened up and let the Holy Spirit come. And, and you know, I, I, just, I just took one section and started going down and praying for every man. And I, and I just, get, I didn't ask. Um, because their fault, they came. <laughs> and you'd lay hands, and you could watch the Spirit come. 
You could see some, some, some took a little while, other, others, uh, but you could, almost, you could virtually see and sense the presence. I mean, if you, think, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you just, you just need to step out and start learning this. Because it's very practical and very tangible. I'm not mystical. This isn't, this isn't me just sort of making stuff up. You just haven't done it. You got to try. But what you'll do, you'll sense his presence. You can, feel, you can feel the Lord. You can feel the Spirit. When he's there. When he's not there, you can also feel that. In fact, you already know that, right? Can't you feel him come in a worship service? Oh, no, when he's there and not there? No, same thing. All right, so you're feeling the Lord's presence on this person. And then you can watch the person respond or not. I've prayed for people where there's lots of power and the person's, it just bounces off like, like a rock. They do not receive. I've, I've seen people when they sense the presence of the Lord get frightened. That's what happened to me. As, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a 12-year-old, when the power came on me, he, didn't, he, he got me so fast it was too late. <laughs> he did, and I'm so grateful. I, I blanked out. But when I came to and realized, you know, my whole reaction was, ah! And I turned around and said, I'm sick, get me out of here. I'm, and, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and I literally, uh, re, you know, we got out of there, went to a little hotel room, and I sat there shivering, trying to get this away from me. Uh, I, I, I actually, I thought, the only theology I had is I knew God didn't like swearing. I'm not making, I'm serious. I, I'm 12 years old, I'm shaking like crazy under this anointing. Like this. My mom's got a hot water bottle. She liked hot water bottles. It was big for us. <laughs> Some of you may not know what those are. <laughs> They're these little rubber things and you put the hot in them. Okay, I had one on my feet and one on my head, serious. So I'm wrapped up, I'm shaking like this. She doesn't know what's wrong with me. And, and I'm shaking like this and I, and I got to get rid of God. How do I get him out of here? And, and so I said, damn it. doesn't bother him the slightest. <laughs> she didn't even notice. Probably laughed, to be honest with you. Like, check this out. Is that cute or what? You know? <laughs> it's the only, I just did it twice. Don't go telling people I cuss. What was I? I was terrified of the spirit. So, so don't put that into the equation. You'll be dealing with people who are just scared. They are not. I mean, this has always been myth. It's been stories. They go to, they go to church, but they didn't expect, I mean, that he's really there. And when he feel him, it, it, whoo. But you'll also notice people go soft and receive. You'll watch him move. It says, Praying for men, and, and frankly, I didn't hit a hard one the whole night that was, it was res resistant. All of them were, went soft in his presence. And, and you just, you'd, but I'd, I'd, you'd feel the power come over him and some would weep, and you, but you could just feel the power of God. Peter and John, look at, Peter has got so much anointing on him. And these guys have just been through Pentecost. <laughs> and they are full of the Spirit. Peter, where Peter walks, it says, at times, if his shadow came over people, they would be healed. As he walked down the street. So these guys, are, these guys are full of the Holy Spirit. 
They're walking along. They get close to this, to this stretcher. They look over. The guy says, little money, little money. And then Peter and John both fix on him. The guy looks down and what, what? And they said, look at us. He looks up. And what are they seeing? The spirits already started to move on the guy. And what they, I'll tell you what they see. He didn't get frightened. He didn't go hard, hard and just, no. He received. Peter sees the spirit moving and he sees the man receiving. Already, nothing's even been spoken. And, the Lord, and then he sees, uh, I need this, this isn't here. What they also saw, what they were to say and do. Did you see that? There was no, there is no set formula for healing. Jesus healed in many different ways. So Peter must have seen himself in his mind's eye, reaching out and taking the man by the hand and also heard what he was to say. There would have been a moment during this miracle when Peter had to decide whether or not he would obey what he was being shown because if the man couldn't stand after he lifted him up, it would be traumatic and embarrassing. So you see the decision he's got to make. We're walking I see the spirit on the guy. I see him going soft into the presence of the Lord. And then I have this impulse that says, take him by the hand and lift him up. Oh boy. Doesn't look like he delayed much. He grabbed the man's hand, didn't ask any questions, didn't notice no prayers are being prayed here. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. So he's announcing to him the whole, the name of the Lord. Rise! And the guy stands up and his feet and his ankle bones. It says that the soles of his feet and his ankle bones were made firm instantly. And he walked and, he wa- and then he starts walking around and then he starts, you can imagine, praising God. It was noisy. Number three, they also saw awe in the eyes of the crowd. The crowd was far too impressed with them. Undoubtedly, Peter and John had seen that look before when, the, when ministering beside Jesus. And in that case, the look was appropriate. But what was happening now was terribly wrong. People were focusing on the human vessel, not the divine source. Somebody say amen. Do you understand? That can so easily happen. You look, we look for magic men. We look for people who got, you know, who got the goods. We focus on the individual. <clears throat> now, flip the thing over, if you would. And I want to continue with the story on the other side. This we'll look at Thursday. There was a very important human response in the midst of this miracle. Now we're going to look inside the lame man. We've looked inside Peter and John. Now we're going to look inside. I mean, he, Peter literally lets us do this. We're going to look inside the lame man and say, what happened in him? There was a very important human response in the midst of this miracle. The lame man had not been passive. He had responded in faith. Peter says, And upon faith in his name, this man whom you see and know was made strong, literally firm. His legs made firm so he could stand. Again, Luke places the preposition upon where the preposition in would be expected. 
And again, he does this in order to draw our attention back to Joel's promise. This is a literary device. Peter, uh, Luke is telling us, back to Joel's promise that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Say that with me. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The point he is making is this. Just as it is possible to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved from our sins, so it is also possible to call upon his name to be saved from sickness, or in this case, physical injury or congenital defect. At some point in the process, probably when Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk, The man dared to call on God for mercy because of Jesus and was confident that he would receive healing. The man, they said in the name of the Lord, rise and walk, grab grab a hold of him. But there's something going on inside the man too. And the man hears this and in just that wink of an eye, I'm telling you with God, it isn't long, long wordy prayers. It isn't, he looks at the heart. It takes when I received it, one, one second that I went, that's God, let's listen. Boom, it hits me. <laughs> he just opened the door and wow, he comes through. So the man simply hears this and is somewhere in the process said, yes. And the, and the power shot through him. Peter added a further explanation. He told the crowd that it was Jesus' name And the man's faith, namely, that faith which is through him, which gave him this soundness, which you see here in front of you. In other words, the man's healing was the result of a combination of two things. First came a speaking of a command in Jesus' name. The apostles spoke the words, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. At Jesus' direction, he told them to do this. And when they did, they were relying upon his authority, not their own. And second, the lame man himself had exercised faith at that moment by believing that Jesus had such authority. In that moment, he had called on the name of the Lord, believing that Jesus was the crucified and resurrected Messiah. I'll explain more. Just stay with me. If you say, no, you're reading too much into this. No, I don't think I am. Jesus was the crucified and resurrected Messiah. He trusted Jesus to save him from his sins and his infirmity. Luke uses a particular construction in the way he says this. He says, it was in in that chapter, verse 16 is just a loaded verse. First of all, he says it, It's upon the name of Jesus that this man stands before you whole, firm and strong. And then he says, it is the name and the faith. And no, and faith. There's there's a couple of ways that you say this. And it's not uncommon the way he uses it, but it does mean something specific. What he said is, faith, namely, the faith which is through him. Say through him again. And, and, the, and the preposition there is dia. It means 
to pass right through something. Diameter is a line which goes through the middle of a circle, right? This is what he means. He's saying the faith which passes through Jesus. It's through Jesus that he's come to God. Let's go on. Peter's use of the phrase, faith which is through him, pictures a person passing through Jesus on his way to the Father's throne. This picture fits perfectly with the admonition in Hebrews. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us, how? Through the veil, that is, his flesh, let us draw near. Couldn't be better image of it. Uh, Barnabas says the veil was ripped, and the veil that was ripped, opening us into the Holy of Holies, was the flesh of Jesus Christ. His body was torn for us that we might pass through him into the very presence of the Father. You follow that? The man dared believe God would heal him because of what Jesus had done for him. He chose to believe that Jesus' death atoned his sins. He chose to believe Jesus had not remained in the grave, but was the resurrected Messiah. Remember, the man unquestionably knew some things about Jesus of Nazareth. He had likely seen him preaching and healing in the temple. He's there every day. Jesus was there a lot. And because he lived in Jerusalem, he certainly knew he'd been crucified. And it's also likely that he heard some were saying Jesus had come back to life. After all, the apostles were preaching it in the temple day after day. How could he have missed it? So when Peter spoke Jesus' name and seized his hand, it was with some level of understanding that this man chose to believe. When he says Jesus of Nazareth, the man clicks in. He knows who you're talking about. Remember the man crucified beside the Lord, the thief? What did he say? Remember me this day when, when you enter your kingdom. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. He's looking at a man torn to pieces beside him on his, almost at death. What would make you think this was the Messiah of Israel? The revelation of the Holy Spirit. He had very little information. He looks over and he says, Messiah, remember me when you become, when you're enthroned in Zion, when all the world comes to bow before you, when you crush the nations with a rod of iron and break them like earthenware, remember me. What did Jesus say? This day you'll be with me in paradise. That'll do. Remember what I said about the door just cracking open? That'll do. Boom, you're in. Just give me a chance to save you. I'm trying to save you. I want to save you. Open the door a little bit. And I'll come in. Amen. 
After all, the apostles had preached it day after day. How could he miss it? So when Peter spoke Jesus' name and seized his hand, it was with some level of understanding this man chose to believe that he could come to God through Jesus. And when he did, the power of God shot through him. Observations. The man's faith was focused on Jesus. The miracle didn't result from begging or bargaining or positive thinking. The man dared to believe that God would heal and dared to try to stand because he was calling on Jesus for mercy. He came to the Father through Jesus. His sins were covered. He believed God wanted to heal him. But in that moment, he chose to trust Jesus. He'd heard that he, he knew he was crucified. He'd heard he was risen. He'd watched him heal. Please notice what his faith is focused on. He's, he's, it's not focused on, on faith. I'm not against faith. And I'm telling you where you focus your faith. This, this passage tells us how the apostles thought of it. And what he says is, the man trusted in the, the work of Christ. He called on God in Jesus' name. What holds us back so often from healing? What, what, what makes it so hard? We often are, are very aware of our failures, very aware of, of, of all sorts of things, feeling very unworthy when we come to God. Amen? Yes. You recognize that? So we're gutted. We, that's, hence we fall into begging. Uh, oh God, please. Oh, please help me. As if we, if God's got a soft heart that's up there, and I'm not, please, I've, I've begged too, and I've cried too. It doesn't help, does it? But, but we've all done it. What I, I have to point this out. You're assuming that he has a hard heart, and that if you cry enough, you'll melt it. Right? Let's just look at what we're doing. That if I simply get, get I weep enough and, and show contrition enough, somewhere his mean old hard heart will say, okay. I'll heal you. That, and we're thinking of him as a, as, a, as a human, as a grumpy judge. We bargain with him. I promise I t I'll, t I'll, I'll go to church. I'll listen to Shell the whole time. I won't walk out. I won't walk out. God have mercy. I won't walk out. If you just heal me, I'll listen to him. Don't we? Notice where the faith is focused, not on any of these things. The faith is actually boldly approaching God, expecting healing, not because of me, not because of my situation or how well I've done or where I am, but entirely on what Jesus has accomplished. That's where your faith goes. Jesus, you have made a way. By his stripes, we are healed. Peter expected, notice also, Peter expected immediate results. I mean, this challenges me, I'm going to be honest with you, and encouraged the man to step out by faith. Again, remember, this wasn't a technique. Peter saw God moving in what he was to do at that moment. But I will say, the more you go through the book of Acts, they did expect some sort of immediate work of God, and they expected a response. They called for responses, much more than I've been comfortable doing, but I'm, I'm letting this thing do its work on me. So when I ask for healing, I need to focus entirely on what Jesus has done for me, not on myself. 
or the person praying for me. I must totally believe that I am forgiven, loved, clean, and given every promise because I am joined to Jesus. Read that Corinthians passage. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are. Say it again. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. In other words, when you are joined to Jesus, every good promise of God is yours now. Easier to say, a lot easier said than believed. A lot easier said than believed. And this is where we need to focus our faith. The source. Peter and John were arrested and brought before the, before the religious leaders for questioning. Peter's answers, along with the prayer offered by the congregation afterward, form a very precise explanation of the roles played by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in healing. Acts 4. By what power or in what name have you done this? In other words, the question was, and this is, this is the high priest, the Sanhedrin of all gathered. They, they, Peter and John are arrested, held overnight, then brought in in the morning before the Sanhedrin. Annas, the old, the old guy, Caiaphas, his son-in-law, two others, uh, John and Alexander, and then the whole Sanhedrin. They're all there. This is a big deal. And they ask him the question, basically, is the power from you or are you administrating someone else's power? Acts 10. Peter answered, and, and, and in verse 8, uh, Luke says, Peter in the spirit. So Peter's prophesying. I mean, Peter's full of the Holy Spirit. What's coming out of him is right out of the, uh, right out of the heart of God. Peter answered, this man stands before you whole in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Then talks about him being crucified and raised. Verse 12. There is no salvation, pardon me, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And then they're released, they go back to the church, the congregation gathers, and the congregation has a prayer. And Luke records that prayer. And the congregation's prayer says this, by stretching forth of thy hand, and it is unquestionable there. I'm not going to take the time uh, to take you to those verses, but 24, 27. They are, they are speaking to whom? God who? God the Father. Say God the Father. No question about it. They'll talk about sending thy servant Jesus. Okay? So we're talking, we're speaking the prayer to God the Father. Now listen what they say. By the stretching forth of thy hand, God the Father, to what? Heal and signs and wonders to happen through, there it is again, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So the source of all things is the source of our salvation, which makes the gifts of God possible, is the source of the power which produces the healing within our bodies is? There you are. It's there. It's there. I was just, I was begging. And I said, oh God, you've got to show me. I've got to have this clear. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be silly. I mean, I, I can live with ambiguity if I have to, but this, this, this is important. Where, who, what does it mean through Jesus? Does it mean what I think it means? 
you and I pass through Jesus to the very throne of the Father. What does it mean to be passing through him, covered with him, enclosed with him? I've used this illustration lots of times, but if if this Bible is Jesus and this hand is you, you, being in Jesus means this. You are are enveloped in him. So when you come before the Father, what does he see? Yeah. This is the idea. This is the idea. So when you ask for healing, who's asking for healing? When you ask for protection or guidance, who's asking for it? Uh, will he say no to, the, to, to, to his son Jesus when he asks for the promises? Not at all. You have no doubt of that, do you? Okay. But when it's just you, you have real doubt. You see it? This is where your faith goes. You, you, you do not sit there and work just, just try to harder to have to believe better. You put your faith on the fact that you're in Christ and that he has won everything. That you inherit with him the riches of heaven. That God the Father loves you. God the Father wants to answer your prayers. God the Father will give you all things. Not might. And at that moment, that man believed that. Conclusion. If we listen carefully to what Peter is teaching us, we'll discover that healing isn't about us. It's about helping people discover the riches Jesus has won for them. Yes, we, have, we may have a role to play in someone's healing. So we need to learn to watch for what God is doing and what he wants us to do in response. But it's all much simpler than we tend to make it. Faith to be healed is being confident that I can boldly come to the Father through Jesus. And know that he wants to heal me. And then as the spirit moves, I step out and trust him. Understanding healing this way means that all believers can and should be involved in the ministry of healing. The spirit will lead all of us for all who are being led by the spirit of God. These, whether men or women, are the sons of God. Would you read that with me again? For all who are being led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. So the sons of God do what? They follow the Spirit. We listen. We respond. We're we're open. At the men's retreat, I found myself, man after man, often doing this. I'd put my hands on their ears and I'd just say, Father God, open these ears. I'd put my hands over their eyes and say, open these spiritual eyes to see the things of God, to hear the voice of God, to see what God is doing, to, to, to see it. No veil, no confusion. Open our eyes. And then I'd take their hands. Why don't you hold your hands up? I'd take their hands in my hands and I'd say, Holy Spirit, come upon these hands. Bring the gifts of healings, miracles. Move in power. When these hands are laid on someone, may there be relief and comfort, may the power of God. May, this, may, you, may your presence and power flow through these hands. Can I ask that of every, every man, every woman full of the Holy Spirit? Can we expect this? Are you willing 
the winds, when the Lord leads you, are you willing to walk down the street and, and, and see someone and see the Spirit move upon them? Are you willing to be somewhere where you know God's at work? And then say, Lord, now what do you want me to do? And if he says, lay those hands on them, would you do it? And when you prayed, would you, would you try to just simply push a lot of energy into them going, hmm. Or would you say now, Let's come to the Father clothed in Jesus who loves you and is ready to give you. Just receive. Receive from him. Don't justify. Don't argue. Don't go through condemnation. Don't go through that stuff. Just receive. This is easy. And just allow the power of God to move on that beloved. That's how they did it as far as I can see. I think that's a good way for us to do it. So Lord, here's our hands. Here's our eyes. Here's our ears. We are indeed sons, men and women, sons of the living God. And we will follow the Spirit. Guide us and grace us. And Lord Jesus, we just say today, what an amazing work you have done. We exalt you, Jesus. You have come and you have paid for our sins. By your stripes, we're healed. You have made a way so that in you, as we come to the Father through you, all the promises are yes and amen. Help us be men and women of faith. Help us believe that. Help us minister that. Help us focus on you, Jesus, not on ourselves. Not evaluate how bad the problem is. Help us believe. And let you do your work. We ask for that grace and we intend to follow. So by faith, thank you, Jesus, for more and more healing. More and more of the move of God through us as a people. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray it. And if you're willing to have that happen in your life, would you say yes? Yes. Hear us, Lord, in your name. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.